This is season three of the Dundeal Football Podcast. And in this season, I'm going to be talking mainly about my football industry and covered course I did on YouTube um, towards the beginning of this year. I touch on loads of interesting topics, including football transfers, player contracts, boot deals explained, what goes into an image rights contract, FFP, player football agency, third party investments, etc. Hope there's loads of good content for you to get stuck into. And as always, let me have your comments, your feedback. I very much hope you enjoy it. Happy listening. Today, um, what I'm trying to do is to discuss for about 15 minutes or so the topic of boot deals. Um, and that's particular player boot deals um, at that. And so, uh, as usual, I'll try and talk for 10, 15 minutes. We'll then have um, 15 minutes worth of questions. Hopefully, we can get some um, great questions in. I can already see them flowing in, which is great. Um, and what I was wanting to try and do was probably just break the um, break the discussion down into probably three areas I was thinking about. Um, the first area was actually what players are required to do for their boot deal. It's not usually and sometimes not as straightforward as uh, people expect. Um, the second area was brand consistency can be tricky depending on particular player contexts. If we're talking about personal deals, club deals and international um, team deals. And then the third area I wanted to touch on as well was um, performance clauses and how they can vary in terms of actually um, what the, the amounts that are actually distributed to the player can be. And also the restrictive clauses, which can sometimes be in the deal, which actually then prohibit players from doing certain types of category deals, because actually quite a lot of those categories um, are carved into the boot deal, which means that the player, unless it's particularly carved out, may not be able to have um, those categories to be able to potentially um, endorse. So um, they were the three topics I was going to um, at least start on. Um, I'm happy then to, um, as we go along, take some more questions as we, um, as we go, which would be great. Um, and then, yeah, here we go. So, yeah, I think the first bit, um, just to mention, is um, what players are obviously meant to do. Now, usually in my experience, apart from players being paid for what they do on the pitch, there's a significant number now that are going to be obviously paid by boot manufacturers um, and other brands to endorse particular products. And from looking at um, a recent 2018 Forbes rich list, it was revealed that Ronaldo earned over set at 47 million dollars from endorsements with Messi only I say only 27 million pounds um, and the difference there is is that whilst they are the high profile players most players um, even in the lower leagues and sometimes um, you know um, up and coming players may actually only be given supply deals which means they don't actually have to buy their boots but they're not paid by the manufacturers to um, endorse those um, particular um, agreements so Player boot deals explain what actually are players required to do. Um, so clubs enter into lots of lucrative sponsorship deals, while players and their image rights companies can also earn pretty significant sums from brands wanting to partner with those elite players. So we have brands, as you can imagine, like Nike, Adidas, Puma, New Balance, Under Armour. Um, they are the ones um, and they are the brands that are most likely to be looking for endorsement deals, uh, these boot endorsement deals with players. But the issue is a lot of the time, I mentioned it in the book quite a bit, is that a boot deal isn't usually just a boot deal. At the very least, it's a contract that will require the player to wear and use the brand's products for training and in games. 
but usually that is only one part of an overall larger brand uh, ambassadorial role that can include tons of things. So, for example, personal appearances and photo shoots and um, commercial and social media activity. We've seen lots of examples of Instagram live chats, Twitter takeovers. Um, there can be brand activations which require um, appearances at particular places at particular times and advertising advertising across a range and range of different channels. And um, the point, I guess, on the advertising point for all, the, all of those type of activities, such as photo shoots and promotional appearances, the player will not only be wearing the particular footwear and shin guards, and obviously for goalkeepers that could be gloves, but will also probably be kitted out depending on the circumstances in the brand's clothes. So that's the first thing. As, as discussed below, some difficulties can arise depending um, on whether the player is appearing um, in a personal capacity uh, for his domestic club uh, and or for his national team or her national team at those particular times. Um, so the specific products and apparel that you'd think would usually come within um, that type of brand deal would be wearing the, the footwear, clothing and accessories, might even include bags, gloves, hats, for example, but the thing that's important to note is when I've seen quite a lot of these particular deals as well is that the product list usually covers a much wider range of category of, um, of products like, for example, um, sunglasses, golf clubs, sports equipment, headphones, personal gear, personal care, hygiene products, watches, um, cases and sleeves for electronic accessories like tablets and mobiles too. So it means that as a result, the player will be provided with a variety of branded products to use. The flip side of that, obviously, is that the boot deal may limit the player's opportunities for a player to sign additional deals with, say, with, say manufacturers of such headphones or watch products. And the player may be limited to the use of only one of those set of branded products. So the bit that I always say, and I've written it in blogs and um, tweeted about it and made reference to it in talks as well, is that it's really important for the player and the, uh, the player's agent and the lawyer at least to be able to explain to the player um, that um, when they're finalizing deals that even if the amount do seem significant and they sometimes can be that the player is effectively being rewarded for adequately giving away the opportunity to enter into those additional deals with other manufacturers because if the boot deal is as wide as to cover a large number of products like sunglasses or phone accessories the player should be aware that the scope to enter into additional deals um, is, is usually going to be pretty limited. I guess the point in reality is that you know most players won't quite have the same commercial appeal as plenty of players if it's Salah or Pogba or Ronaldo or Neymar or Messi and thus won't have large numbers of commercial sponsorship deals outside of their boot deals. But if you're a young player um, or a whole player, in fact, I think the general point is is that it's pretty important to understand the detail of um, of getting involved in a boot deal for for those types of reasons. And if you want to carve out particular categories, do it. But it might come at a cost. The query is that playoff point. So that's the first thing, which is usually what players are required to do. Uh, the second bit also um, is that uh, what I wanted to talk about is uh, brand consistency. Now. Um, this is an important point because it spans the different remits of a player's commercial engagement strategy from a personal perspective. And we're going to talk about image rights agreements tomorrow to um, uh, his club, his or her club's um, commercial obligations, and then to the international team if they play for an international team, their obligations. So 
the issue can be and issues can arise when a player has to juggle um, those obligations of his domestic club, national team and personal commercial partners. And the reason why that's important is because the player will have club obligations, i.e. training and playing club kit, being pictured in club shirts at kit launches or being part of an official club autograph signing session. And usually in an image rights agreement and a boot deal, they can be called club context um, um, issues. National team responsibilities are the second element, and that's the same, wearing training and playing kit, potentially even endorsing sponsors of commercial partners of national teams when away on international duty. And they're usually labelled national team context uh, matters. And then we have outside of the club context, the general club context, if it's domestic club or international club, or international team rather, then personal endorsement deals. And, and they are boot deals or individual ambassador deals not directly linked to the club. Now, what's important, and I'm just going to do a quick um, uh, a quick quiz maybe that might be quite uh, useful. So I'm going to give you an example of um, a couple of players that are perfectly aligned in their brand, at least apparel um, uh, strategy. Um, so, for example, Bale plays, Gareth Bale still does play for Real Madrid. They're sponsored by Adidas. He plays for Wales. They're also sponsored by Adidas and has a boot deal with Adidas too. So, um, Adidas has complete brand. Adidas has complete brand consistency across his apparel line, um, and that's obviously for him playing in Adidas both for Madrid and Wales. Uh, the same is the case for Neymar, who's endorsed by Nike while both playing for PSG and, and Brazil. So, question for you, whilst you're hopefully listening to me at the same time, <laughs> might be. Can you give me any examples of other players across the world that are uh, precisely aligned from an individual personal endorsement deal, um, a club deal, and um, an international deal? Because the following then necessarily happens. So when, when, a, when a, a player is appearing in a club context, the club will want to ensure that the player is wearing club and kit apparel to satisfy their own kit sponsors and partners. And there will be an obligation on the player to dress appropriately that the club will normally allow him to. And the same applies when the player is on international duty. A club, his club or her club, can't stop its player wearing the international kit of a competitor. So, uh, for example, Barcelona, sponsored by Nike, can't prevent Messi from wearing Adidas Argentina kit and training wear. Um, and that's why having players like Bale and Neymar, who remain consistent in their endorsement messaging, um, can be of pretty significant value. So it's, it's the same way, actually. So when, uh, when uh, clubs in the UK are actually entering into image rights agreements with their players, um, they can actually have a brief example. Um, it's unlikely that Chelsea um, would allow one of its players to personally endorse um, a rival of its um, principal, tie, uh, principal sponsor, Yokohama Tires. Um, so it'd be difficult. Uh, and there would be usually restrictions in the club's image rights deal with the players to make sure that they can't um, sign up for um, a competitor of their own main partners. So um, that's the first bit there. Then sorry, second part, which is brand consistency across different contexts. What I then want to just briefly touch on is um, performance clauses and restrictive clauses. So clearly when uh, elite players sign up to um, particular boot deals, they can earn pretty significant sums um, from such deals. And the brands will usually structure their deals in um, relatively similar ways. Some will call... 
um, that the payments they're making, base payment or um, it can be um, retainer amounts as well. And, and usually the standard type of clause um, will be um, a fixed amount of X amount of money paid in quarterly instalments if the player is named in the first team squad, etc. But usually even that payment is subject to a particular type of requirement. And it's usually a club category requirement um, that I'll sort of try and touch on a little bit now. And the reason for this is that the fixed amount will be paid, um, is usually paid, but it's determined by the calibre of team for which the player is playing. So, for example, most boot brands will classify particular clubs in particular categories. So uh, it could be Man United, Barcelona, Madrid, Munich might be classed as category one clubs, which means a brand may pay the player £100,000 a year, for example. But if a player's at Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Madrid, PSG, they may be, for example, classed as category two clubs, and the brand may pay the player £75,000 a year if they're at that club. Now, the reason why this retainer and category element is important is um, because if a player moves from one category, i.e., let's just say he moves from Chelsea category two to Barcelona category one, then the brand will pay the player an uplift because of that move taking place. But vice versa can also be the case. So it's important for the player to bear that in mind when they are effectively transferring between clubs. There can be quite a difference actually then as a result between I'm aware of when I'm helping um, uh, agents go through these particular deals is that can also be really specific reduction clauses in relation to appearances made by the player for his club and international team so by way of an example the basic amount is usually unlikely to be reduced if the player plays in at least 75 percent of competitive first team matches but if for example the player is injured for a long period plays in only 40 percent of the matches it's pretty likely that the retained amount um, is going to be reduced significantly uh, and the same can be effect also for um, if the player is an established international player. So what can sometimes be the case is that if the player doesn't play in at least 80%, say, of competitive club and national team matches, um, the player's boot deal could be reduced as much as 30%. It can even go, um, go uh, much lower reductions or higher reductions, rather, depending on those, um, those appearances. So... Um, they are the types of um, they're the types of performance clauses which can impact. I just briefly wanted to touch then on the restrictive clauses as well, which can be quite important. In the days where we've heard over the last few months about Liverpool FC's matching deal with New Balance and how that was in the press, the same is also the case in a number of almost all boot deals because there are matching opportunities and rights of first refusal, which effectively give player's existing boot manufacturer the ability to resign a player or at least give the company or the brand an opportunity to match an offer made by any of its competitors. Now the way that that tends to work is usually the brand um, will give between three and six months notice if you're lucky to the player if it wishes to extend the deal and if no agreement is reached the brand may then give the player its best offer uh, in advance of allowing the player or under his agent to go to market and negotiate with competitors for usually a pretty short period of time, unless that can be negotiated up front, usually one to two months. And should any better offers be put forward, the current boot manufacturer may have a period of time, usually up to 30 days or more, to be able to match that competitor's offer. Now, um, with the existing brand holding the right to match any new sponsor, opportunity or offer rather that the player receives 
or even automatically extend or renew a deal if the terms are matched. Um, there were a couple of examples that were reported a while back when Mesut Ozil wanted to switch from Adidas to Nike. That ultimately got um, resolved. But those matching elements and those restrictive clauses shouldn't be underplayed. Um, they can be pretty um, stringent. And I've seen since the Liverpool FC matching rights um, uh, court case, um, some pretty restrictive wording in a number of endorsement deals um, in relation to um, matching rights. So um, uh, we are at 17 minutes. Um, thanks for sticking with me on um, on that particular element. Hopefully then I've taken you through three particular parts. One of what players are actually required to do under the boot deals. Uh, the second is brand consistency between personal, club and international. And then the third was talking about... Um, performance clauses uh, mixed with what type of restrictive clauses can also be um, in the, the deal. So I am going to just expand the questions and see, oh, my, it's my, this is rather large, so I'm just going to uh, make it a little bit smaller so I don't have to see the entirety of um, my face too much. Um, and then let's look at some questions and there are quite a few for this evening which is great um Stephen ross asked a really good one in terms of the french wide league-wide boot deal lawsuit i actually when i looked at that i wasn't actually aware of that at the moment but i need maybe to look into that um but it's a it's a really good point i hadn't seen that previously but i'm gonna um take a look at that so thanks for that Stephen. um vashun asked a uh, question my question for today is how do boot brand deals impact what a player can wear outside of football in their personal lives. I've never seen Beckham in night clothing or footwear. Yep. So again, that's one of the restrictions really, which is the significant restriction is that if you're a Nike player, you can't wear um, a competitive brand full stop. And the question a lot of the time can be what a competitive, competitive brand is categorized as. Usually that competitive brand can be pretty wide. So part of the role of the myself and the agent is to try and limit that which then gives scope to be able to um, wear particular types of clothing query whether armani is a competitor of nike or whether um, versace is a competitor of adidas for example and they're the types of things that um, ultimately you have to try and um, have a bit of a negotiation um Harun, after reading your article on lauren support about boot deals it mentioned clubs are divided into categories how is it determined, and if possible, how do clubs move up and down a category? Um, yes, yeah, so as mentioned, it, it actually depends um, on what the, the boot manufacturer thinks, in other words. So it might well be the case that the player is incentivized to go to a club that is um, uh, that m might have might be sponsored by the same boot manufacturer, i.e., Adidas boot manufacturer, Adidas apparel manufacturer, and there may be an incentive for that club to be categorised in a higher category accordingly. So that can sometimes um, be the case as well. Stephen, uh, yeah, UK goes on daylight time next week, so program will be in the US on PM. Um, EDT, so yeah, thanks for that. Just uh, yeah, mentioned that. Yeah, clocks, I think, go. Yeah, may well go forward. Um, so thank you for that. Um, yes, yeah, so got a good question from Teniola. Um, how do players and their clubs reconcile conflicting obligations of the player's sponsor versus the club sponsor? 
Yeah. So we're actually going to talk about that quite a lot tomorrow. Um, the, the, the usual approach is that um, a club won't restrict the player's ability to be able to wear whatever boots and shin pads they want. But outside of that, the club in an image rights agreement, so that's agreements separate to their employment contract with the player, between the club and the player, there will usually be pretty significant restrictions on um, a player's ability to be able to um, enter into a commercial agreement with a competitor of a club partner. And that can be very specific as well. Um, some of the larger clubs have pretty um, strong restrictions on those types of um, obligations. Um, Samuel Smith, have you ever encountered a boot deal which goes so far as to limit how a player behaves, i.e. brands not wishing to see a player spitting, pushing another player whilst uh, wearing their branded boots? Um, I think there's a, there's a more general provision usually which it can be bringing game into disrepute bringing the brand um, into disrepute. There can be pretty wide reputation clauses, which um, I've seen throughout a number of boot deals and general um, ambassadorial deals as well. So I wouldn't go as, as far as um, making reference to particular actions. Obviously, criminal actions can be, apart from maybe driving offences, etc. But usually it's not necessarily particular actions. It's what the outcome of those actions um, might necessarily be. Um, a question from uh, Jack. How much weight will a club or player typically lend to potential brand alignment when considering a transfer? Yeah, really great question. Might brand alignment influence Bale with Adidas to sign for United over Spurs? Um, I don't, you know, I think it's probably more an, an agent question that, and just a quick shout out as well. Um, one of my good friends, Dr. Erkut Sogut, um, is doing um, an online YouTube uh, channel as well. So that'd be a great question to ask um, him as well. I know he had some trouble because I think there was a YouTube live outage this afternoon um, and they kind of let me know about it. So it looks like it's all going all right now. But um, I think he would probably be best place to answer that. If I only just say that what can sometimes be the case is that. Um, in, in a boot deal, and it may be significant or it may not, just as I mentioned before, if um, there is particular possibilities of brand alignment, a, a boot brand, it's not beyond the realms of possibility to provide in the, um, the boot deal a bigger bonus for joining uh, an apparel-aligned club. That could well be, um, that could well be a possibility. Um, so, yeah, just having a look through all of the, um, some of the answers uh, Neymar with Nike and Mbappe. So yeah, Mbappe is Nike, PSG, um, France. Um, Lalana with New Balance. Yeah, but I think Lalana, when he was obviously with England, isn't because um, I know he hasn't played for a bit. But um, uh, England being Nike, um, Ozil, Adidas, uh, uh, Germany, Arsenal. Yeah, an individual. Um, Puma with Aguero and uh, David Silva. Muller with Adidas, I think is right. Pogba sponsored by Adidas, um, but France sponsored by Nike, correct? So that's the, the issue there. Harry Kane, yet yeah, great one. Samir with the Harry Kane, so he's fully Nike as well. Mane, New Balance. I'm not sure his international team, actually, whether they're New Balance as well. Um, so that's a good one there. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, we're still doing all right for time. Uh, Teniola, what typically happens when a player signs with a conflicting sponsor prior to joining a club, i.e. a player already endorses Dunlop before joining Chelsea, which is sponsored by Yokohama. Great question. Um, tomorrow, but the 
the the short answer is is that what the agent and the lawyer would probably have to be doing um, is notifying the incoming club um, about the existing deal and probably giving disclosure as to how long the deal is going to last for, what their obligations and commitments are going to be in a particular period of time, whether there might even be termination provisions um, for moving um, to a particular club who might have a brand partner in conflict with own um, club partners so yeah, it's a great question it does arise from time to time um, and it's really on a bit of a pragmatic basis it might well be that the the club makes certain requests to try and reduce the length of the term of the deal or even to terminate it especially if it's for one of the main partners so if, for example let's just take Manchester United um, with Chevrolet if one of their um, main star players was endorsing um, an, a Chevrolet competitor it obviously have to be pretty in-depth conversations commercial conversations as to how to best mitigate um, that type of issue and yeah there's no easy answer to that it's just on a, a case-by-case basis. Uh, Javier um, to what extent is it true uh, elite players are covered part of their wages if they have brand consistency with their respective club? Um, I haven't seen that. I mean, obviously, the brands can't pay players club wages, but as part of um, the, the, commercial, um, the, the commercial package, it can certainly be the case that um, particular boot brands may pay more or may add additional bonuses for going to particular clubs. But what it's very important to ensure that that isn't just a substitution for the players' wages that should be coming from the club itself, because that obviously can have um, tax issues, it can have FFP issues, and and, and those type of matters. Um, and oh, I'm sorry, I've lost the chain there because there are a few questions coming. Have you asked another one, which is, and is brand consistency taken into account for a more average player, or at least can it be leveraged to optimize your player's salary as an agent? Um, it depends. I don't, from a club perspective, I don't think it's the, uh, at least from an on-field talent perspective, it's not the most crucial thing. But obviously it can be of help to the, the, the club commercial team if things align quite nicely. Um, Stephen, question on matching rights. Are matching rights really anti-player? Why do stars agree? Uh, yeah, it's a much wider discussion point. It's a great point there, really. Um, I think a lot of the time, uh, so long as the matching right provisions are fair, um, a player won't necessarily mind in having those matching rights obligations so long as they're not too weighted in, in favour of the, of the brand. Um, and what can then unfortunately happen is what you, what you don't want to see is there to be some type of obligation for the player to enter into the deal with the brand um, if particular very generic matching terms are met. Um, what the player will want to make sure is that if they receive um, uh, an offer from a competitor, which they don't believe in their objective experience matches that deal, that they don't then have to um, sign. But I agree. Um, unfortunately, in my experience, I haven't been able to get too many uh, matching rights clauses out of deals. And that might be a combination of um, uh, the commercial risk not being as uh, high as it needs to be, the agent and player being relatively happy about it. Um, it may also be that, in a way, although the players will have certain um, favourites, probably in terms of brands, if it's Adi or Nike or New Balance or um, Under Armour or uh, whoever else it might be, Puma, um, 
if there's significant um, you know, money and resource on the table, it's certainly something that they would probably consider. But I think you're right. Um, I would try and push back on a number of things and at least trying to make a less restrictive matching rights clause um, is, is certainly one of them. Uh, Luke, please, could you consider uh, a future session about reputation management and any of the ways in which your work involves the press? Really good one. Thanks for that. Um, I will note it down right now, actually, because it's a great one, press. Um, what I was thinking about doing, actually, in social in social media and compliance, one I'll be doing, I'll possibly be talking about that, because obviously what we're talking about is public domain-related um, matters. Um, Michelle, what was the strangest clause you had to discuss for a player so far? Um, I, I can't obviously really talk about the specifics because of confidentiality, but um, uh, I think what we talked about yesterday was some of those clauses about not being able to ski, weight clauses in um, and employment contracts. But I don't tend to see too many um, too many strange clauses in boot deals. Is probably the uh, is probably the case. Um, Halls Razor, I'm not sure if that's your name, but um, hi. So hi, Daniel. What do you make of? Uh, athletes such as LeBron James and Ronaldo signing lifelong deals? Are we more likely to see those across sports? Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, in my experience, you only tend to see the deals that I've worked on for three to five years max, really. I haven't seen any more life-term life, uh, life deals, really, um, in football, but um, I think they're usually pretty much the exceptions to the rule. And then as a follow-up question, in basketball, it's not uncommon for a superstar player to have their own signature shoot yet. Do you think you're likely to see this become something more likely in football? Or, or that can certainly be the case, but again, it's for those superstars. Um, so uh, I think there's the possibility of doing that for the real standout superstars. Um, agreed. Uh, I think it's something usually, I would see the US um, a little bit of time ahead of um Europe in some ways in terms of marketing capacity and capabilities. So that, that's some, certainly something that shouldn't be um, uh, ruled out. Um, okay, so let's just uh, get the final couple of questions. Um, we had a question which is, you mentioned supply deals for young players. With the sway these younger players have on social media, often many thousands of followers, do you think it's unethical for minors to be paid? Good question. Um, I mean, I think ultimately what I'm actually talking about here is not necessarily minors, but I'm talking about young up and coming players, maybe, um, well, minors are clusters, 16 uh, to 18 year olds in, in the UK anyway, but I was thinking more of young up and coming players. And if that sense, then usually um, there's not too, not too many examples. By that stage, they're probably being paid a little bit. Excuse that, I think that was the front door going. <laughs> um, uh, so, next question is: um, Have you known any clubs? Have you known club sponsor help? Let's just read that. Have you known club sponsor help fund player transfers? If oh, I think we already touched on that one, Andrew, which is if Kane went to United and United didn't have the money, could Adidas help with funding the transfer fee? So the answer is that no, they shouldn't be funding any transfer fees there. Um, ultimately, that's got to be a club-related matter. Um, otherwise, there can be issues from um, all of the usual matters. It shouldn't be third parties funding the transfer um, on that front. Um, and then, yeah, Sunir was talking about um, Van der Vaart's red boot deal. Um, 
Yeah, so there can sometimes be those type of clauses which are put in too. Okay, I think we've just gone over 30 minutes, which is great. Um, thank you for all the questions. It's awesome to have so many great questions as always. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about uh, image rights. If quickly, I can just maybe mention um, a couple of things. So actually, I'm just going to try and uh, get the book out from the, the shelf at the moment. So this is my book recommendation for the day. Um, it's a guy that possibly a lot of you might not have heard from, heard of called Dave Trott. Um, he is an advertising um, guru, and he's written a book called um, Predatory Thinking. Um, he's also written a book called One Plus One Equals Three, which is actually uh, my, my cap is in homage to his um, uh, his work. He's basically written a couple of brilliant books, um, and all of them are two or three, or each chapter is only two or three pages long, and they're basically very short stories with a really good moral at the end. I really, really recommend this. It's incredibly inspiring. It's thinking out of the box stuff. It's creative. Um, it's really, 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 I can't put it anymore, just inspiring. Um, there's a brilliant story that he gives about um, how when incubators were being provided to third world countries, that the issue wasn't necessarily the, the funding of the incubators. Um, it was that when incubators broke down, um, that they couldn't be fixed. So this company came up with this ingenious idea of um, looking in certain apparently African countries that had lots of mechanics when they were fixing cars, what actually would then happen is that they would uh, build incubators with car parts that could be easily fixed, like, for example, um, uh, headlamps uh, for heat, AC, un AC units for ventilation, the, the incubator could be run off car batteries that could then be easily repaired, etc. So it's brilliant stories of thinking outside the box, and I'd really recommend this, um, a brilliant read. And if I can just mention one last thing, if that's okay, which is um, I started off at the beginning of the session um, on the live chat. Um, please, if you can, um, spread the word about Noah's Ark um, charity, uh, hospice charity. They're doing brilliant work. They've got... Um, fundraising issues at the moment because of everything that's going on corona related so please do check them out um, and i look forward to seeing you tomorrow keep spreading the word and see you then thanks bye thanks for listening you can follow me on twitter tiktok and instagram at football law read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.